You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio, from the word to life. Author Jamie Erickson is helping us understand the concept of the Holy Huga. It's about creating a place for people to gather and for the gospel to grow. I love this concept because there's a whole thing about contentment in that and just the ministry of presence and being together in this. And so she is joining us this morning to help us understand about this Danish practice and really how we can begin to use that intentionally to grow relationships with others. Good morning to you, Jamie. Thank you so much for making some time to join us this morning. Good morning. I'm happy to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, we're very, very glad. We, you know, honestly, I I have to be completely honest. When we receive this, you know, the advanced copies of the book and we get all the information from Moody Publishers, everybody was like, hi, Guy. Because Holy Huga is spelled H-Y-G-G-E, but it's said Huga. And so everybody was very confused by this, and we didn't understand what in the world is this. So please set the record straight for all of us who are trying to figure out what Huga is. Well, I have to first say and let you off the hook that you're not alone. Everybody pronounces it incorrectly, including myself. I pronounced it incorrectly for a few years until I was set straight. It is a a loan word that we have in our language now from the Danish people. But to be honest, we don't have an an English equivalent for it. There isn't um, a word in our American vernacular that kind of sums it up. The best way I can describe it is to say that it actually comes or stems from a Norwegian word that means hug. So if you can just think that huga is like a hug that wraps and envelops you in things like comfort and contentment and rest, it's just the Danish way of creating a sanctuary-like space and life for themselves um, here on Earth. That That is such a natural fit for walking out what is expected of us as Christians, this Mm. Christian life. Kind of connect those dots a little bit for us, Jamie, and and how you how you connected the dots in this and and you know, I I was looking at your book a few minutes ago too, because you made the statement that God wants us to become this for other people. Talk about that. Well, I first have to admit that I'm not Danish, and you might uh, notice that as we're chatting, but my husband is uh, both Danish and Norwegian. I'm from the inner city of Phoenix, and we, we met in college, and I followed love all the way to the cold, tundra-like conditions of Minnesota, where the majority of Scandinavian Americans have all kind of matriculated to. It boasts the most Scandinavians in any other state, including my husband and his family. And when I moved up here, I began to notice there's something really different about these people. Even even those who are not believers in Christ, there's just something familial and connecting. It's just woven into their DNA. And when I, you know, began to peel back the layers of their lives, I realized that it's this concept of huga. The Danish people have been practicing this lifestyle for hundreds of years. And, you know, if you think about where the Danes come from in northern Europe, where it's cold, 
fighting winds, very dark, isolating. Um, they have had to find ways to not just survive, but thrive in the midst of some really hard things. And so that really is where Hugo comes from. And as I began to lean into that, and as my husband's family kind of enveloped me in this Hugo, I started to see that it it runs parallel to a lot of the things that we ascribe to in the Christian faith. And even more so, it sort of mimics a lot of the things that we see in our first home on earth, the garden, the first home that God made. And of course, we know sin and death came into the garden and destroyed all of that perfection that God intended. And this was sort of just the, the Danish way of trying to recapture that. Whether they realized it or not, you know, Hugo is not a faith-based practice, but all of us on this side of the garden are just longing for home. There's something about this space, this earth, this time that we know is just not quite what it was meant to be. And as a believer, you know, I know my, my home is in heaven. That's my home. And so Hugo began to, I began to see Hugo as a tool for creating a place that sort of um, mirrored that garden-like atmosphere to my family, my friends, and neighbors so that I can point them to the one that they've always been longing for, even if they didn't know that. Well, you know, it, we are made for relationship, and when we think about that original relationship, there was nothing that separated us from God, and we will never truly experience that this side of the garden, right? We we do. We live in uh, the domain of the enemy. We live in a broken and fallen world where we know sin, but when we think of that closeness, right, where there's no barrier between us and our Creator, how important that is. And like you said, we long for that. And so this is a sort of a mechanism to actually uh, sort of find that deep within ourselves, to create that space where we can be mindful of that presence, right? And when we put it into context of our relationship with God. But how has this impacted your life? You know, I think of this and I, I would say, my counter is covered with stuff from my kids when they come home from school, and mom is saying, you got to clear that off. I need to cook dinner. There's all of this stuff about life. How does this concept, if we're living out Huga, how does that change our home? Well, I think Huga has helped me live the life that I actually say I ascribe to, w- one where Christ isn't just a social accessory, where I can live in this very busy, very hectic culture with a sense of presence and be fully engaged with the people that I'm with. I feel like it has given me some tools. Now, remember, Hugo isn't a safe thing, but it can be a tool, something we use to employ um, in our Christian walk. So I use it as a tool to be able to reflect the one who is making a home in me, to build a home that reflects that, because I am his ambassador. He has welcomed me to his table, and now I can use Huga to give me some practical tools and tips for welcoming others around my table. And because of that, you know, this generous hospitality that Hugo really um, is centered around, I can begin to build those deep relationships with my family, my friends, my neighbors, and, and really and truly 
it is only through a deep relationship that we'll ever really be able to impact others for the kingdom. You know, the Holy Spirit will do the work, but we can invite people in and begin to make those connections to be able to point them to Jesus. It's just a tool. How do you use that as the tool, though? I mean, give us a practical example, if you would, Jamie, of how you use that to point people to Jesus, because I I understand the concept of what you're saying in Hugo and, and how to prepare your home to be that sort of a welcoming place where the pace has slowed down. And, um, you know, when I first moved out um, from my parents' home, I was very young in my early 20s, I had roommates, and we created, I understand now that, that what we were trying to accomplish was creating that atmosphere in the apartment that we all shared and people who would come in would tell us there was just a different feeling about the place and they felt like they could relax and things were slower and we were able to have those deeper conversations but give us a practical example of how Hugo can directly directly help us to lead people to Christ to share him specifically in that space Well, I think first you have to embrace this idea of scrappy hospitality that is really entrenched in a Hugo lifestyle. I think as Americans, we tend to think of inviting people over in the realm of entertainment. You know, we want a perfect tablescape. We want an Instagrammable place. We want the menu to be perfect. And because we put all this pressure on ourselves, it often doesn't happen. We talk ourselves out of it before we even extend the invitation. And, and that's the first step. You know, we have to start having conversations with people. We have to invite them into our home. But if we're, if we're putting Pinterest perfection and laying that over our days, we'll convince ourselves not to do it. So, you know, Huga accepts scruffy hospitality, the kind where there's still dishes in the sink, the kind that says, I'm not a mythical creature. Of course I eat and live in my home, and there's dishes here and maybe laundry on the couch. And so you just invite people in even in the midst of imperfections, you welcome them to bring their real selves along too and their real struggles. You show them yours and it's a reciprocating relationship. I think um, in, in practicality, I think Hugo helps you develop a, a list of great conversation questions that you can ask over the dinner table, ask in the living room. You can lean in and really see people and listen to them, not just hear them. Um, One of the things I like to do to help me with that is just compile some questions and write them down and put them in a jar and have conversation starters around the table because, quite frankly, I'm kind of an awkward human. And without that little crutch, sometimes I get really wonky at the table and I'm not sure what to say to the people that I've invited over. I think Huga compels us to... Um, instead of responding with knee-jerk reactions when you feel offended, it reminds us that we need to dole out dignity to everyone, every image bearer. And so there's this little check, and and I think it's the Holy Spirit, this little check in my spirit when I when I'm tempted to, you know, give words of disagreement or disapproval or dissent um, to someone in a, a quick rash way. Um, and then one of the things that I love to do is um, provide some Huga on the go. When I cannot have people into my home, I always have a running list of my friends, my neighbors, just important figures in my life on my phone, along with maybe some of their favorite fun drinks. So that way when I, when I hear about a friend who's um, having a hard day, or maybe it's not a hard day, maybe they're celebrating something great, 
I can, you know, run to Starbucks or wherever and buy them their favorite hot drink and for less than, you know, $10, provide some huga and a cup for them to make them feel seen and known. It's really just about being present and um, noticing those in our lives. Well, let me tell you, you know, earlier I'm fascinated by this because this this isn't really a spiritual concept, right? This is, uh, it, it, it wasn't birthed out of that. This is the application of Huga and how we can use that to create and share being the hands and feet of Christ, to be at service of someone else so that we see them, that we know them, that they feel loved, as you said, you know, simple as giving them a cup of Hugo, right? Whatever that might be. But you give these great examples of how to practice that in our life. But when we're talking about that gospel presentation, all of this kind of creates the opportunity for that discussion around the gospel, right? We can live it out. We can use the Huga as the the mechanism to act it out. But what about the speaking out? How do we maybe bring that conversation into our service toward others in this way? Right. And in my book, I include all kinds of conversation starters for having those gospel-centered connection conversations. But I think too often as Christians, we kind of jump right there. You know, we we think that if we're not slapping a Bible verse on the side of a conversation, then it doesn't count. But what I'm talking about is being able to use Huga to have those initial connections with people to show them, like, you know, there's a famous quote by Teddy Roosevelt that, you know, people don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. So Huga is really that launching point to show that you care in order that down the road you have built a, a relational um, connecting tissue to them mm. in order that they trust you enough to say those hard things. So then you can get into some of those conversations like, you know, when you die, where do you think you will go? You know, are you, is there anyone that you know that is worthy of your sacrifice? Do you think you are worthy of someone else's sacrifice? So those are the hard, definitely hard conversations that you don't just automatically jump to. You have to sort of prime the pump and get yourself there. And I think too often as Christians, you know, we're, we're used to the the times where we could just go door to door with a gospel track and hand that out and and um, expect great big results right away. But I think we're living in a post-Christian world where people are cynical of religion and faith. And yet, at the same time, three out of five of them are lonely. They feel relationally disconnected, even within their own homes. So I think that that's our inroad, this quiet, gentle building of relationships first. Hmm. You know, i got to ask you, Jamie, too, because I, I know it, I'm actually, even though I'm on the radio, I'm more of an introvert than anything. And I know others uh, who are more introverted, and the thought of having people come into their home can create quite a bit of tension for them. And then you add what you just said about, you know, we live in a culture where a lot of people are very cynical of anything having to do with religion in any way, shape, or form. So that creates another 
kind of a stressor for people who are finding themselves geared that way. What would you say to that person who's hearing what you're saying? And, and it all sounds like it was just would be so easy to practice this in our homes, but maybe they're feeling a little bit of that stress and tension. What would you say to them about how to overcome that? How would you encourage them, I guess, is what I'm really asking. Well, I think, you know, I like to use shuga in my home, and obviously my book kind of leans that way. But hospitality doesn't necessarily mean you always have to invite people into your home. Maybe you have a very small home. I know for 13 years, I lived in a 900 square feet with seven people. Um, I just tend to be a hospitable person. I think that's a gift gifting that I have, and I know that not everyone does. And, of course, there are introverts. I, I think you have to think outside the box. I know that one of my favorite ways to be hospitable and not invite a single person to my home is to create a neighborhood traveling basket and just fill it with some um, small little things, little bags of this or that, little treats, and and just deliver it to a doorstep, knock on the door, and, and begin cultivating conversations with with neighbors. Most of us don't even know our neighbors, and yet, Somebody has to be brave enough to say hello and mm-hmm. to start with that. The other thing that I would, would say is I think oftentimes we use our personalities and our natural bents as an excuse not to do what God is calling us to do. And I know that sounds harsh, but we have to remember that the, the Bible calls us to hospitality. Everything about our faith is relationally driven. And so we cannot hide behind our relationships. We can actually use it as a prayer point to say, God, I'm holding this out. My hand is open to you to be able to use my home, my life for kingdom work. I know that I'm, I'm nervous. I know that I'm an introvert. It doesn't come naturally to me. So please use your Holy Spirit in a way. Bring um, the tools into my life, help me to take the first step so that I can fulfill that Levitical call um, about treating the stranger who sojourns with me as native. Um, that's what he calls us to. And so I think that the, this is something that, that God wants for us, and I think when we hold it out in prayer and hold it with an open hand, he will give us the tools and the courage to do so. But we can also, you know, like I said, look for outside of the box ways to be able to um, make those connections without always having to have people over. Man, I think that is so great. I love this concept. And I, you know, I have to commend you even more for braving the fact that you grew up in uh, inner Phoenix and you moved to a very cold place. Uh, <laughs> that's just good on you. Wow. You I are brave. All the temperature spectrums, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you are brave. I would choose Phoenix over that any day. But um, we're so grateful for you to share all of this. You know, as I think of what it means to connect with other people, to uh, create an opportunity where there's contentment, and then that puts people at ease, that they feel cared about, and then you can introduce the gospel to them. What a great 
tool and mechanism. And it really, truly is a lifestyle because, as you point out, you know, there's, what, 8 million hashtags around Huga, as well as different Facebook communities dedicated to uh, that lifestyle. And just so people understand, it's H-Y-G-G-E is what you would be searching for. It's not as it's not spelled as it sounds. Huga is spelled H-Y-G-G-E. And so we're so just grateful for you spending some time with us this morning to really visit this concept and help us to understand how we can use this culturally to share the hope of Christ. Jamie Erickson, thank you so much. It's been a delight. Thank you. Hey, and you can find out more about Jamie's book, Holy Huga, Creating a Place for People to Gather and the Gospel to Grow by going to moodybooks.org. How can you keep your eyes on Jesus and a changing culture? Listen to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio, Indiana.